Hey guys, before we get to the show, we just wanted to give you some big news. Big, big news. First off, cultofsplat.com is now live. That's going to be your central hub where you can find all the places to subscribe to the show, as well as, of course, all the latest episodes and where to follow us on social media. Anything Cult of Splat related, it's going to be right there. It's a great looking website and you should go to it. And not only that, but you can also get information on events such as our first ever virtual live show, May 26th at four o'clock Pacific. We're going to be talking about fear and loathing in Las Vegas. And where are we going to be doing this live event at? We're going to be doing it from Las Vegas. Las Vegas, baby. So make sure to head over to cultofsplat.com or facebook.com slash cultofsplat because this event is free live on Facebook. You can still send us money if you want, though. We will always accept money. That's another thing about the new website. There is a donate link. Yay. So make sure to head over to cultofsplat.com and enjoy the show. morning everyone welcome to another episode of cult of splat i am your host taylor bartle here with me as always with kevin nesgoda yo how are you doing this morning kevin doing all right you not so bad today we are joined by a very special guest uh he is a a rapper he's an artist i actually i have some of his art on my t-shirt right now the uh great plot film fest part two i have that shirt artwork uh he's also a tiktok celebrity best known for his sesame row uh films i don't know what the hell you call tiktoks i'm not a i'm i'm old <laughs> you have lost all credibility in my eyes i'm afraid please welcome to the show z manzilla hello how you doing yeah it, it, that's sesamero with a with a short a or, or, oh, no, okay a with a long a a because it sounds like an a yeah hey hey forget about it you know i've only ever seen it i've never actually heard it because like i said i don't do the tiktoks yeah, it, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, you, you're one of the the older fellas. You're not down with what we the youth are doing. You old millennial. Yeah. yeah. Wait, I'm, I think I'm the youngest one here, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so today's movie was chosen by Z-Man. It is uh, an adaptation of a Kurt Vonnegut novel called Breakfast of Champions. Yeah. Uh, this is from 1999, written and directed by Alan Rudolph, like I said, based on a novel by Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, the Rotten Tomato score on this one is 25%. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. yeah you know, it's not hard to see why either, you know. They, they, no. <laughs> this is a much aligned, uh, a much maligned uh, film uh, among fans of Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, it is considered probably one of the worst, if not the worst, adaptations of his work. And I'm, <laughs> and I love the book. It is my favorite book by my favorite author. And I, I say this without any sort of hyperbole. Or, or I'm sorry, I'm talking to Taylor here who likes to mispronounce things. It's it's not hyperbole. Hyperbole. So, it's right. Yeah. That, that, so now you grok what I'm saying there, old man. So um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's 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 not it's not tough to see why. 
like Vonnegut fans do not like the film, but at the same time, I love the film. So, but then, you know, I'm a big fan of MST3K. So there you go. Now, a lot of times on this show, the, the, the audience score is much higher than the critic score. Uh, mm-hmm. On this one, not so much. The audience score is only 32%. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That could, that has a chance to be our lowest ever. I think that may be our lowest audience score to date. Uh, the critics consensus says the movie is overwhelmed by its chaotic visual effects and disjointed storyline. Well, I mean, you know, if you don't like those sort of things, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's, that's a valid criticism. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, feel like when they shot this, everybody was on Coke and acid in some <laughs> sort of, not necessarily uh, a bad way. <laughs> listen, I'll tell you, there was some. I don't know about Coke. There were too many budget cuts for Coke. Um, I, in <laughs> fact, I am. I am pretty sure that the uh, the that the, the the I am pretty sure that the budget on this film was so tight that the locations team and the craft services team were literally the same team, and it was really just one guy with a discover card and a headache. <laughs> that is how much scenery they are chewing in this movie, like. So yeah, um, the the budget for this movie was actually twelve million dollars, which is more than I thought. Yeah. Wow, I was expecting like two or three, and that would mostly be like to Bruce Willis. Oh yeah, no, you got to remember there were a lot of big names in this movie, like That's true. a crazy amount. You know, Omar Epps was in this here. They had uh, uh, Lucas Haas was in there, and they say that was a cameo. Like he's a pretty major character, and you he know, is. And they're calling that a cameo. Um, Nick Nolte, Mike, yeah, Nick Nolte was in it. Michael Jai White had a bit role in it, like Barbara I mean, Hershey. Yeah, yeah. there's a the lost budget. This really paints the picture of what happened was you had a lot of big names get together with uh, with uh, maybe a director that didn't exactly know how to keep the keep the order on the set, and I think everybody just decided they were just going to go do their own thing. You know, that's really what this feels like. Uh, sort of a you know, a, a circus with mismanaged monkeys, you know? Yeah, I get that. I can get that. You know, that, that that's very much what it felt like. And I, I think part of it, too, was, uh, you know, you had Alan Rudolph, who wrote the adaptation himself. And I don't know. I don't really get the sense that he internalized the source material when he was doing that. So I, I think what we have here is a perfect storm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, the IMDb short synopsis says, and this is like very literal, it just says, a rich car dealer is losing his mind. His son lives in the bomb shelter. His suicidal wife has an affair with his transvestite sales manager, which I don't think that last line is right. Yeah, that didn't happen. Like, that, <laughs> yeah. IMDb very much uh, uh, screwed the pooch on this one. Did that happen in the movie or in the book, I mean? No, no. In fact, uh, in the book, uh, uh, Dwayne Uva's wife is dead already. Like she's dead before the book <laughs> even begins. Yeah, from uh, drinking Drano, if, as I recall. Was she trying to cure COVID? Uh, well, no, it isn't. <laughs> I think she was trying to cure some other condition, if you know what I'm saying. So, um, but the, in fact, there's uh, that phrase she keeps using in the film. She kept saying goodbye, Blue Monday. Blue Monday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that was that was basically the note she left before she went and, and did herself in. Um, and it was based on a slogan from a commercial for a for a, a bathroom cleanser that she used to use. So, like. They, the, the significance of that line was just completely stripped in the movie. It was just sort of a catchphrase for her. 
and it, it really did not make sense. It didn't. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Like, I think I read this book back in high school, like right after we read um, um, Slaughterhouse Five, just to show like the dynamics between um, yeah. what Vonnegut wrote. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I have a vague memory of that. Yeah, I, I remember my first time uh, reading this book. I was in seventh grade. I had just found it on my oh, damn. Yeah, I found it on my stepfather's shelf. And I, I'm not going to lie to you. Like the main reason I picked it up and started reading it is because it had all these little doodles in it. And you know, like <laughs> it, it, it was a book. And like one of the doodles is is him drawing a um a wide open beaver, right? Um, and you know, <laughs> there is no better way to get a seventh grader's attention than a crude drawing of a wide open beaver. So I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So um, there is one thing I do want to point out. And of course, if you read the book, you know that like Kurt Vonnegut uh, at one point makes a reference to a, you know, a butthole. Right. And he draws he draws a butthole. It kind of looks like, a, you know, like kind of a, a clumsy asterisk. Now, two things. First of all, <laughs> first of all, if you've ever read the book and you've internalized that sort of symbolism, you will never go to Walmart the same because the, all the employees are wearing it on their back. Right. <laughs> Yeah, seriously, the, everybody looks like they, they lost a game. You know, everybody looks like Grover lost a game of Concho to King Midas. It's great. So, you know, um, so th- there's that part of it. But also, if you pay attention during the opening credits, when Kurt Vonnegut's name comes up as the credit, the image from the book that they use is the butthole. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's kind of funny, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, so... Go ahead. Oh no, no, I was just gonna say that's a, it's just a fun little thing that if you've read the book, like the the best part as far as like when you're watching the film and looking for references to the book, the very best part is the opening credits and looking at all the different drawings from the book that they use for the the various people involved, and the fact that they use Kurt Vonnegut as the booty hole is just hilarious. So, <laughs> yeah, I was I like just it. gonna I was gonna say you know the the opening credits like you said there's uh, it's just a bunch of little cartoons little sketches and drawings for each person that comes up mm. uh and then we, we open up on Dwayne hoover played by bruce willis mm. who of course is in in the news lately unfortunately for for an yeah. unfortunate reason yeah um but he's he's Dwayne hoover a car dealer in what where does this take place Oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the little town. I know it's 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 Sugar Creek, right? But I don't know if they Midland said Midland City. Indiana. It was like yeah, Midland City. I believe the the city is supposed to be Indiana or Indiana. Okay. It's meant to be one of the sort of you know middle middle of the road kind of nobody thinks about this kind of place kind of towns, right? Right, A little suburbia, any town USA. Yeah, and Dwayne Hoover just has those stereotypical, super cheesy uh, car commercials, you know, like crazy eddies or one of those kind of places yeah um and it's it's hawaiian week down at Dwayne hoover's which for some reason he's doing commercials where he's like a scuba diver and then he's a cowboy uh and all this has to do with hawaiian week somehow <laughs> right now i think it's interesting by the way that they chose to focus on the hawaiian week thing um it actually was that what ended up in, inspiring the score of the movie martin denny did the entire score sort of using exotica style uh music to sort of empty you know keep keep that hawaiian week thing as a thread and i'm thinking oh if you want to keep a central thread going through this film obviously it's hawaiian week right so yeah because because yeah because everything has to do with hawaii in this movie yeah 
Right. <laughs> uh, so we're finally introduced to Dwayne Hoover, Bruce Willis, in person. And the first thing we see him doing is putting a gun in his mouth. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he cocks it and he's getting ready to pull the trigger. But then his housekeeper, whoever, yells out, breakfast. Oh, no, 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 no. She yells out in the most contrived and set up way possible. Breakfast of champions, Mr. Hoover. Oh, that's right. She yeah. says the gimmick. And that was like that that was the moment that everybody, every Kurt Vonnegut fan needed to see happen. Because like what you have to understand is Breakfast of Champions is a reference to something that happens about two thirds of the way through the book. It involves a waitress. Now they do set that up later in the movie too, but them mm -hmm. shoehorning the titular line into the first thirty seconds of the film, and and from from an actress that was very clearly like, oh no no, I was so worried about staying in the shot and like not you know screwing up the framing that I I just refused to emote or move at all, right? <laughs> it was the most wooden delivery. <laughs> and that was the moment every Kurt Vonnegut fan went, fuck and you! Like, oh, this, this is not going to go well for anybody involved, is it? No. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, and then Dwayne comes into the room just whistling away and says, good news, folks, today is not the day. Right. So, like, does everyone know he's trying to kill himself? But he's just like, nope, not today. <laughs> not today. Not on Rex Manning Day. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know. Uh, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say Hawaiian Week down at the showroom means they got great deals going on all week. Plus, they're giving away a big trip to any island on Hawaii. Even the leper ones. Yes. <laughs> yes. Including Maui. And oh, that becomes a plot point, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. The times they say Maui in this movie. I. You would think you would think they wrote the word Maui on the side of a cricket mallet for the number of times they hit that Nick Nolte hits the viewer over the head with that word. <laughs> Especially his last appearance. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> uh we see Dwayne's wife Celia, played by Barbara Hershey, who is just absolutely pilled out of her mind. Yeah. Yeah, she's gone. Yeah. Um and yeah, she's watching commercials and acting like they're real life and they they give you the whole like you know bubbles on the side of the screen just to kind of give you the effect of of being on whatever pills she's on god only knows oh yeah at one point they actually like end up showing it and and uh, yeah she's on a ridiculous amount of medication whoever whoever their doctor is uh you know got got his license from a correspondence school probably offshore you know that's <laughs> That, that is not a healthy amount of medication for anybody. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, and yeah, she she just starts telling Dwayne, "Tell me something, or say something, say something." And he's he's trying to make it like this philosophical thing. And he's you know, I'm, I'm looking for a sign. I'm looking for anything. And she's just like, "Say something, say something." And he's like, "What do I say?" And she just says, "Say goodbye, Blue Monday." Yeah, there it is. There's the there line. it is. There's the uh, yeah. She said the catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> hey, drink. <Yeah. laughs> uh, we're very briefly introduced to their son, uh, who is played by Lucas Haas, of course, best known for Mars Attacks. Yeah. He lives in a bomb shelter, like we said. In the front yard. In the front yard, yeah. Usually it's in the backyard, but, you know, going to mix it up a little bit here. 
which uh, that, in- that, that was an interesting choice I might add as well. Like I, I, I see kind of why they did it. Cause it, again, like all the symbolism in this movie, they need to first pull it in the wrong direction and then just overemphasize it with the, with the great mallet of, of beating you over the head with symbolism. Um, and with the, the bomb shelter thing, I really feel like what they were going for was, well, the, the, the you know, called bunny. So let's make him like a bunny and cover him in bunnies and have him live underground like a bunny. And we'll do Lucas Haas. Cause he, he kind of looks like he could twitch his nose like a bunny. I'm, I am surprised. <laughs> I am surprised. They didn't like literally just have a scene with him just eating carrots for 30 minutes because they, <laughs> they took the most minor point, one of the most minor points from one of the most minor characters in the book and tried to build an entire thing around him. They even gave him a little storyline with that, that, that uh, that business manager, and, which did not happen in the book. Nothing like that happened in the book. Um, they really like took this character and like just was like, well, let's do a whole thing with this character because it's Lucas Oz. It's like, we got him. Might as well use him. <laughs> it was it, it was pain. It was Fruit Loops for the eyes. It was painful to watch at times. Yeah, and I agree with you. I thought they would have him just like eating carrots in the background in random scenes. Yeah, you know. Well, and that business manager guy you talked about is dressed like Eddie Valiant from Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Talks like him too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And they they ended up giving him way too much depth. Like that, they, they throw in a little thing with him uh, ordering a vodka and cranberry because he's got like this. I'm like. Why? Because he has a UTI. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Why does this character have so much depth, but you gave Omar Epps almost nothing to work with from the book? You know, like some of the most powerful themes in the book uh, are are represented by o- Omar Epps' character, Dwayne uh, uh, Wayne Hubler. Right. He, he's like that. All the all the great little like meanings of the book and what's you know the the setting and the, the world building of of Midland City happens with uh, Wayne Hubler. And they relegated him to this goofy role that has no, like, almost no meaning to it. But no, no, let's let's focus on this character yeah. that we made up, you know, that that follows around Lucas, a character that appears uh, in a grand total of like four pages in the entire book, you know. Uh, so we're introduced to Albert Finney, uh, who plays Kilgore Trout. Yeah. Uh, Albert Albert Finney, man, that guy is. I don't know. I don't. I don't even know how to describe him. Like I love him in Big Fish. Yeah. Uh, but he he's such like he's just one of those people that looks like an old Hobbit cartoon. Like I don't know how else to describe him. But I'll say this much: like it, it, uh, if you're looking for your main positive, if there's only one, if you're only looking for one good reason to uh, invest two hours of your life into this film, um, it is the portrayal of Kilgore Trout, uh, Albert Finney was the saving grace of this entire film, in my opinion. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure for some folks, it's going to be like, oh, I didn't like the character stuff. It's like, yeah, that's sort of the point of the Kilgore Trout character, though, mm-hmm. you know? Like, the the thing was, he played Kilgore Trout, and you're either going to love him or hate him. But he, he did the job. <laughs> yeah, Kil- Kilgore Trout is just absolutely daffy. Um, oh, yeah. He, when we first introduced him, he's talking to his bird, Bill. Mm-hmm. Good and he gets this fan letter, and he's just he says, you know, I've written two hundred novels, two thousand short stories, never heard back from one publisher except that wide open beaver outfit. <laughs> and so he burns this fan letter because he doesn't. I don't know if he doesn't believe it's real or he. I mean, he says, look at the handwriting; it's clearly written by a fourteen year old. Yeah. So I mean, th- th- again, uh, that part's accurate to the book. Uh, it's amazing how much of uh, Kilgore Trout's story remains accurate. 
I, I think maybe that was where Kurt Vonnegut did all of his uh, pushback. We're then introduced to the LeSabres, uh, Harry, played by Nick Nolte, and Claire, I believe is his wife's name, mm-hmm. uh, played by Vicki Lewis of News Radio fame. I'm pretty sure this podcast talks about news radio more than any other podcast, unless there's like a news radio rewatch podcast or something. But Kevin, how many times have we mentioned news radio on this podcast already? Uh, 10. And I think we have had six episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a recommend. Definitely watch I mean, news radio. When you've got Dave Foley, Phil Hartman, Vicki Lewis, Stephen Root, how do you go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Nick Nolte, like I said, plays Harry, and he he sees Dwayne Hoover drive by, and he's like, he's driving by because he knows. Mm. We so pan paranoid. out, yeah, and we pan out. We see Nick Nolte is wearing like lingerie with fishnet stockings and high heels. He looked cozy. Oh, well, he, you know, Nick Nolte uh, looked fabulous. All right, as far as I'm concerned. Like that, if 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 you were going to put Nick Nolte in some lingerie, whoever whoever had to put Nick Nolte in lingerie obviously wanted to see Nick Nolte in some lingerie. So that was a there was some there was some good wardrobe choices made there. I think yeah, solid ones. I mean, I can't imagine wearing heels. That's my main thing. Yeah, it's got to be tough. Yeah, well, that's why the world had to show you Nick Nolte in high heels to to help you <laughs> fill that gap in your imagination. That's true. Uh, his wife says, you know, he he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know his son's a freak. He doesn't know his wife's suicidal. And and even if he does, who gives a shit? Like it's it's Dwayne Hoover. He's treated like this local celebrity, but it's he really is just a car salesman. Yeah. yeah. So you know, actually, that's a, a phenomenon that we have. Uh, that many smaller cities have. I mean, even Buffalo, we had the the huge guy. You know, and uh, you know everybody knew who he was. I can't remember his name right now. So I mean, obviously, it didn't take off too much, but. You know, I, I find that uh, some smaller to mid-sized cities, you know, yeah, it is possible to be a celebrity just from having, like, okay, think of it here in the Pacific Northwest with uh, Vern Funk. Oh, uh, that's, that's a valid point. Yeah. So, you know, so imagine if Vern Funk was sl- silently going bonkers on uh, off the cameras. Which, I mean, I know it's not Vern Funk that's in the commercials, but th- that guy that played Vern Funk, I could absolutely see that happening. You know, to paraphrase <laughs> yeah. a wrestling quote, it's still Vern Funk to me, damn it. Yeah, <laughs> the kayfabe Vern Fogg. <laughs> yeah, I mean, growing up in Edenclaw, we had. The, I wouldn't say that the local car dealerships were celebrities, but like their kids in the high school were like, "Oh, that's that's one of the you know the so and so kids." I won't name any names, but yeah. Kevin, anything like that in Aberdeen? Yeah, the uh, five star uh, family. Uh, I can't remember their names, but yeah, they were local celebrities. Basically, because they were basically the only people on TV in the area. That's yeah. all we had. We didn't, you know, the car dealership was the only commercial, like local commercial we had. No, no other businesses had commercials, really. So Harry is, is very concerned about people finding out about his, his secret sex life. He says, I have a sex problem. And Claire says, you know, you don't have a sex problem. You, uh, I have 37 orgasms a month. You have 36. People like Dwayne Hoover have 1.5. Now that is a problem. That is a problem. I, you know what? I honestly want to know what half an orgasm feels like. <laughs> like what? what it, yeah, right. What is half an or? How does that work? Is that is that just like advanced level edging? Like I was gonna say, it's got to be like edging, and then it's like, you know what? I'm good. Yeah. And walking off. You just you get yourself to the point, and then you're just like, you know what? You know, I'm I'm gonna ride this high. 
Uh, that's fine. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'll go make a cup of tea. You know? Yeah. I'm gonna have this tingle in my pants and some tea. Yeah. Some tingle in your dingle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they talk about moving to Hawaii, specifically Maui. Maui. Maui drink. Uh, we we then see Dwayne. He's just like flying down this little residential street. Almost runs over this police officer. Cop had it coming. The cop's like, get out of the goddamn car. I'm going to fuck you up. And then he's like, oh, wait, it's Dwayne Hoover. Oh, my God, you're so cool. <laughs> um, but we find out that apparently Dwayne Hoover owns this little Sugar Creek uh, resort. Or not resorts, but um, whatever this little housing development is. Yeah. Enclave. <laughs> estates. That's what it is. Sugar estates, Creek Estates. Yeah. yeah. But the cop tells him, you know, somebody dumped sludge in the creek. And... I was like, you just said creek, and now you're saying, now you're saying creek. creek. <laughs> you know, uh, th- th- this is why you don't skimp on your continuity editors, you know, your continuity people, you know? He's, yeah. Yeah, really. Hmm. So, but the guy tells him. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that the, that particular subplot hit home uh, for, for those of us from the Western New York area, because we know about Love Canal. You know, I don't know if you guys heard about Love Canal, but basically it was a housing development that turned out there was a bunch of toxic nast under the under the ground, and you know, yeah, Jesus, yeah. So I mean, it, it's it, it's uh, it's definitely a pulled from the headlines kind of story. Oh, I want to look that up. Yeah, but the guy tells the cop tells Dwayne, you know, go ahead and go on through because you're you're Mr. Hoover, and just go slow. And of course, Dwayne floors it, almost runs over another cop. <laughs> If I remember correctly, he had the same reaction. Like, oh, you, you jerk! Oh, that was the way to Hoover. Oh, well, you know, that's fine. I'd, I'd have been, yeah, I'd have been happy to take a front fender for Dwayne Hoover. Well, yeah, the first guy's like, that was Mr. Hoover. I should have gotten his autograph. Yeah, <laughs> darn it. Yeah, so that's a that's a high ticket eBay right there. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, we then go back to Kilgore Trout. He's receiving another special delivery. Um. I did not write down this character's name. I just wrote him down as Dick Lemon every single time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, the it was one of the two guys that was running the festival. Uh, let me see if I can uh, remember his name real quick. I, I, oh, Barry. Uh, Fred uh, T. John T. Yeah, Fred T. Barry. Fred, Fred T. Yeah. Barry. Yeah. 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 But he, he's played by the guy who plays Liz Lemon's dad on 30 Rock. So I just wrote down Dick Lemon every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because it's not a lemon party without a little dick. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Are we still doing phrasing? (laughs) But he gets this note saying that uh, he is the honored guest at the opening of the Mildred Berry Memorial Center for the Arts. And so he's given him $100,000 or $1,000, not $100,000, to, you know, for travel and as an honorarium to come be at the grand opening of this center. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was, that was, uh, again, uh, the sort of the major plot point there that got uh Kilgore Trout into Midland City because like the entire book is building towards the moment where uh Kilgore Trout and uh Dwayne Hoover meet. Um and so it's really a story of that meeting moment and how it changes them both. Um so that that was all good. Uh what I did want to bring up by the way, this is all being done on behalf of Elliot Rosewater, who's another recurring character in Vonnegut's mm-hmm. work. Uh you know, he was the central character in God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. Um and he's sort of the benevolent uh, he's sort of the benevolent benefactor of of the Vonnegut verse. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. He's he's the Samuel L. Jackson 
less the Samuel Jackson, more the, uh, I don't know, like, I guess if Samuel Jackson was Santa Claus, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> he sort of, he represents, a, he's basically a, a philanthropic figure. He has a lot of money, but he also, like, has a good heart and a, a kind spirit. And so, he, like, he... He swoops in to help the less fortunate kind of thing. And so this okay. was an example of Elliot Rosewater, it, you know, his uh, Vonnegut's most noteworthy philanthropist, swooping in to help Kilgore Trout, which is sort of a lot of people say that uh, that Kilgore Trout is a self-insert character, but that's not accurate. Kurt Vonnegut actually based Kilgore Trout off of one of his friends. But he also used Kilgore Trout as sort of a, a character to dump all of his worst ideas onto. Um, <laughs> And that was sort of always the running gag of Kilmore Trout. So, all right. So we see Dwayne walk into his dealership, and his entire staff is singing "Happy Birthday," wearing masks of him, which is a fucking nightmare. Yes, <laughs> I would have done the same thing Bruce Willis did. I would just turned and walked out. Like yeah, he just turns around and walks out. Doesn't say a word. Yeah, that was the most sane thing he did in the movie. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. And Harry is just like, oh, he's he's running from me because he knows he knows what I am, what he knows what I did. So he's running from me. It's like, Harry, get get your head out of your own ass, man. <laughs> like, you're not that important. Right. <laughs> uh, so Francine, played by Glenn Headley, who is who has been in one episode of all your favorite sitcoms. Mm. And Dirty uh, Rotten Scoundrels, which is a good movie. And Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, yeah. yeah. Um she just gorgeous. She passed away a couple years ago. Oh yeah. Did yeah, yeah, 2017, I think. Oh, damn it. Yeah. All right, They go out to lunch at this diner. It's like a Denny's kind of restaurant. Um, she pours cream on his bananas, which he freaks out about. He's like, you know, I only like sugar on my bananas. And he dabs it off. And yet he oh, dabs man. it off with a, with a napkin. Uh, yeah, uh, at, at this point, um, Dwayne has been at work in a total of three minutes, and he's already on his second breakfast. So, you know, <laughs> so if it's it's good if you're a hobbit, I suppose. But you know. you're right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Francine tells him, "I don't like it when you're sharp, and you've been sharp an awful lot lately." Harry's saying you changed, and Dwayne delivers a line. This is why I go home and talk to my dog for hours, and my dog hates my guts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that's the other fun thing too again you know oh it's different from the book yeah in the book the dog uh harry or uh, excuse me uh Dwayne and his dog got along great you know so oh yeah earlier uh the dog nippy i think his name was like yeah ran up and latched on to Dwayne's pant leg and he had to like swing him off yeah <laughs> how like how dare they? Him and his dog got along great in the book. Like they changed everything for Dwayne Hoover. Like everything. Like just just for the sake of changing it. His, yeah, his son lives at home. His wife's alive, and his dog hates him. What? Uh, now, <laughs> now I suppose you're going to tell me he doesn't once play basketball in this movie. Oh wait, <laughs> is that a thing in the book? Oh yeah, no, that's his like sort of favorite thing to do at night. Is he just he goes out into his backyard, shoots hoops, and talks to his dog? Yeah. Oh yeah, not even a mention of basketball yeah. in this movie. What a travesty. Damn, I did that in high school. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, so we see the, this couple sitting at another table arguing. Uh, we find out later that it's um, Vernon and Rosemary Gar. Vernon is the mechanic yeah. at Dwayne's shop. But they come over. Rosemary is concerned that Vernon is turning her brain into plutonium. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's where she's at. Uh, she also wants Dwayne to take her home. She's got just like a, a big giant thing of pills. And when Vernon's trying to pull her away, the pills go scattering everywhere. And Dwayne actually picks one up and pockets it. Yeah. So yeah, the, yeah, those characters, Vernon and his wife, uh, that that's that's book accurate. Uh, may as well bring that up. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dwayne snaps at Francine, tells her to shut up. So she walks away. We then see Kilgore Trout just walking down the street along some train tracks, mumbling to himself. We then go to the local prison where we see Eli and Wayne Hubler. Eli is played by the late Michael Clark Duncan. One love. Yeah. Wayne Hubler is played by Omar Epps of Major League Two fame. Yeah. Again, I I, I really have to point out, yeah, when you... Point out Michael Clark Duncan was in the movie, and another another wasted opportunity for a big star. You know, like yeah, like that was he should have really been able to. Like, I mean, yeah, granted, the role he was playing wasn't in there very long, but still, you know, <laughs> give him some shine. He deserved better. <laughs> you could yeah. say that for most of his career, outside of a couple movies, he deserved a lot better. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say it right now. Slam and Salmon is his best role. Cleon Salmon. Yeah. He was so good in that. Yeah. But Wayne Hubler, we he they see a commercial for Dwayne Hoover on the TV, and Wayne Hubler talks about how, how he trusts Wayne Hubler with his life because their names are so similar. Yeah. And so his dream is to get out of prison and go work for Dwayne Hoover. Yes. And uh, and so yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say, uh, you know, again, uh accurate to canon, although they they very briefly gleaned over the significance of the word fairyland. Um, yeah, it's brought up. Like, right, that doesn't really come up till later. Yeah. Well, I mean, they very briefly, you going to say fairyland? And he's like, no, I'm not going to say fairyland. But they don't go into why, like, Wayne Hubler is afraid to say the words fairyland out loud. Um, and it has to do with uh, prison culture. And um, I'll let you, oh. I will let you draw the lines yourself there. Uh, suffice it to say, it is about. Uh, uh, one of the things you don't want to happen to you when you're in prison. So, um, and so dots are connected. Yes. Yeah. So like, uh, basically like Wayne had been conditioned, uh, by his time in prison to be afraid to say those words out loud, even though that's what he was feeling in his heart, not the actual wanting that to happen, but literally like fairy land, like a land of fairies, you know, like magical. Um, so it's just that I feel like that was one of many powerful messages that got gleaned over by relegating Wayne Hubler to such a, a goofy comedy role. Yeah, that was definitely not addressed in at this part of the movie. Well, I don't believe it ever really does. The, the closest they ever get to it is later when he's talking to Nick Nolte's character, uh, you right. know, Harry yeah. and, and Harry, of course, draws that line himself, uh, for his own reasons. And they'll wait a wait, great way to make Wayne Hubler's story all about you. But then again, Harry is kind of the biggest narcissist in the movie. So that, that makes That's sense. Too. Yeah. Uh, we see Kilgore Trout again. He has bought one of his books and he's complaining about the cover, which has a like sexy male teacher getting undressed by two sorority girls. Mm. And he's just like, none of this is in the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, he a goes into a, a, a dirty bookstore and is like filtering through the magazine. Some guy in a mesh shirt runs into him and is like, watch out pervert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but he finds this magazine that has a story that he wrote in it. 
um, he also looks in the mirror at this point. It's like a pot lid mirror. And he, he sees himself on this like tropical island beach thing. Oh, uh, he, he then goes outside and he starts yelling at some graffiti. <laughs> oh, think you're better than me. <laughs> it's a, it, like, it says, what is the purpose of life? And he starts like answering the question and he's like, you stupid idiot. Like, <laughs> okay. I, this part, I do. If there's any part that I need to interrupt and explain the significance of, this is the one because it, this was such a life changing moment for me when I read this in the book. So there is a bit in the book where Kurt, or, uh, where Kilgore Trout, he's uh, he's taking a leak. You know, uh, that's a pun if you know the whole mirror thing in the movie in the book. Um, but he's he's, uh, uh, he's he's using the bathroom and he sees written on the wall, "What is the purpose of life?" And he pulls out his pen and I have this written on my coffee cup. These are significant words. To be the eyes and ears and conscience of the creator of the universe, you fool, right? There you go. Like that, yeah. The, those were life changing words for me growing up, right? And it, it was, uh, you know, the context of how he answered it, where he answered it, what he was doing when he answered it, and everything. It, very influential, very important part of the book. And the fact that they just sort of roped it into the Pluto gang plot that they didn't even bother like completing right is just uh you know no wonder you're just looking oh yeah he was just bit, you know complaining about some graffiti i'm like oh no 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 that was a major thing in the book so <laughs> yeah and the pluto gang had faces even though it was one dude yeah so it really wasn't a gang well that's just it is like the, the pluto gang, like um the idea was to demonstrate how like little actions in the present can turn into big things in the future in the book right. the, ga- the gang that you know beats him up and robs him uh when he's talking to the police later and of course they show this part in the movie where he's all like oh for all i know it could have been a sentient gas from pluto and of course that line makes it into the newspaper which then turns around and this other local gang that's looking for some clout starts calling themselves the pluto gang based on that and it actually works out for them and they become a major player in the gang scene like it's it's a it's a great demonstration and a brief one you know of cause and effect but it's very important and the movie just kind of just uses this like throwaway scene and uh we just we all just kind of go on it has nothing to do with the rest of the thing uh how mm-hmm. sad you know yeah all we see is just one guy come around the corner and grab him and pull him off screen and then it cuts to him at the police station yeah it's like uh like it, it, if you need if you need one scene to prove that Alan Rudolph really either didn't understand the source material or just didn't care. That that's it right there. You know, I, I wonder how much got left on the cutting room floor. You know, that's a good question. I mean, the film does clock in at like two hours, doesn't it? It's like a, an hour 44, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a longer film and I, I don't feel that length would have helped anything like, uh, <laughs> so I, I think we could say the same thing about Dwayne Hoover, huh? Oh, hey, Oh, uh speaking of Dwayne Hoover, we see him shooting a new commercial for Hawaiian Week where he's dressed as a caveman. Because Hawaiian cavemen go together naturally. Hand hand. It's like <laughs> pineapple and coconuts. <laughs> he's got this giant inflatable elephant. But halfway through the commercial, he starts freaking out about bird shit on the roof of a car. <laughs> on the hood of a car. Okay. This was a laugh out loud scene for me in the movie. I I, I literally like that was my favorite laugh in the movie was when he just the bird shit on the hood, you know? And he's he's freaking out. Why don't you tell him about the bird shit on the hood? It was, it was great. Um Yeah, but, Harry comes in and is like trying to save the commercial and he's just like, Did you tell him about the bird shit? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the timing, the timing, the like really it was it was the best scene in the movie, in is my in my opinion, on, on many fronts. Um 
The, not not least of which because that's the scene where Kurt Vonnegut makes a uh, brief uh, cameo appearance. That's right. He plays the director of the commercial. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, Kurt Vonnegut's in this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we see Wayne Hoobler getting out of prison, getting dropped off at Dwayne Hoover's. Once they're done filming the commercial, Dwayne tells Harry he needs to see him in his office. Wayne comes up and just starts shaking Dwayne Hoover's hand like a crazy person. Mm. <laughs> And just won't let go. Yeah. Big grin on his face, too. He's so, oh, yeah, he's happy. so happy to be there. Yeah. I, you know, I think th- that was a relatable scene. I think if somebody just randomly came up and be like, oh, you know, we're supposed to be friends because our names are so close. Let me just keep shaking your hand. I think we were all, uh, we've all been Dwayne Hoover in that situation at some point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Francine wants to quit because of, of Dwayne yelling at her. Mm-hmm. Uh but she gives him a gift and says that she forgives him. Wayne Hubler talks about how he's been watching Dwayne since he was nine. And, and Harry says, did he ever say anything about me? <laughs> right. yeah. Oh, oh uh, you forgot to set up why, why uh, Harry and, and Wayne were talking like oh, yeah, Dwayne just Dwayne tells Harry, you know, that, that young man over there, give him anything he wants. Right. But yeah, and he doesn't clarify. So, so, you know, uh, Harry thinks that he's there to buy a car. And so they're, right. they're yeah. totally on the complete wrong wavelengths and they're having two different conversations. It's so much fun to watch. It was a good scene. Yeah. Yeah. They do a good job of like having these two different conversations that still work either way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, this is when, when Wayne Hubler talks about Dwayne Hoover's being fairyland and then Harry just like starts freaking out. And it's like, why would you say that? What do you know? Yeah. Right. And that was that was another uh, example of how they like really took the fairyland concept and really just kind of shoehorned it in with no sense of why it was there in the first place. Like, they, like I get that we were doing a fun little thing with that scene where they're both having two different conversations, but at the same time, like there really was no good setup for Wayne looking over at the thing and pointing at it, and going fairyland. You know, there was it was not set up. He quipped without being set up for it. It was just so yeah. so so weird and out of place and tone deaf. Yeah. Um, Harry just starts snorting this nasal spray like it's cocaine, like like it's going to cure him of something. I don't know. It's like, what the hell is going on? Is it's like allergies or what the hell is happening with that? Yeah, nose spray? What's in that spray? Yeah, I yeah. want to know. I have questions. I, I got to tell you, yeah, I have I, my my familiarity with inhalant drugs is uh, is not great, but I had to assume it was one of those. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, okay, I, I, I slightly tell a lie. Like, uh, in my youth, I used to work at an adult bookstore. Um, the, you know uh, VCR head cleaner? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the reason why most adult bookstores still carry VCR repair kits and stuff like that is specifically so they have a legal, legitimate reason to carry head cleaner, which is a popular inhalant amongst uh, many of your sex groups, like your swingers and stuff like that. So I, my theory is that they were making that connection because there are, it's, it's one of several. There's also, um, uh, you know, the, the, the crackers that you use for, uh, the, for when you're doing whipped cream, uh, like the little nitrous oxide, they call them, uh, whippets or something like that. Um, yeah. that's another inhalant. Uh, there are certain like, you know, not for internal use inhalants that are used among certain sex communities. And I, I think that's what they were going for. And they put it in a, in a, you know, in an Afrin bottle to sort of avoid saying which inhalant he was using, but that's probably what was going on there. 
Oh. Interesting. Today I learned. <laughs> the, t- Taylor, Taylor knew this already, apparently. Okay. So. <laughs> so. I mean, I knew about whippets. Oh, okay. I didn't know about the sex community part of it, but yeah, but I don't know why that is. There's just something about the swingers. They just they love their VCR head cleaner. I don't get it. So, huh. just on a clever name, uh, could be. <laughs> <laughs> Harry calls his wife and is just freaking out and is just like, you know, like, like they know, like I'm getting exposed, and uh, his wife just says, "Maui beckons." Maui, hey. take a drink. <laughs> We see Dwayne in his office. He gets a letter. It says, Dear Mr. Hoover, Sugar Creek Estates, of which you are the primary stockholder and chief developer, will be the subject of a public forum to discuss the toxic soil findings beneath the development site. Mm. Oh, oh, you know what? I, there's one thing I want to discuss. It, it happened in that scene. It happened with the Fred T. Berry letter. It's a convention that doesn't come up often enough to be really a true trope, but they did it a couple times and I liked it, which was when a character is reading a letter, they have the letter narrated by the character that wrote it, but also their head mm-hmm. sort of appears sort of halfway uh, while they're doing it so that you can kind of get an idea of what the character's head is going through while they're reading it. And they did a very, I, I think that was a really cool idea. I wish they would have done it more. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. You know, where it's like, because I remember specifically in that scene when the read is happening, the, the superimposed head is being lit in a more threatening way, you know, and is being read yeah. in a threatening way. And it, I, I really felt like that was a great way of sort of visualizing the internal read that uh, the, uh, Dwayne was doing in that moment. Um, and it, like for when Fred T. Berry's letter was being read by Kilgore Trout, you know, he appeared, but he was appearing in a dollar bill and it was a more sort of cheerful, brightly colored sort of effect with his head. Yeah. I dig that. Uh, let's see. We, we pick up Kilgore Trout again. He is hitchhike, hitchhiking to Midland city. He gets picked up by a guy who's carrying, like he's got a big boy and a flamingo or something on the back of this flatbed truck. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this guy, the, the thing that I recognize him from is, um, groundhog day. Um, he was the guy in the hallway that was like going to see the groundhog. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I think he was also, um, in mad TV for a couple seasons too. Oh, was he? I think so. Was that uh Will Patton? Is that who that was? Uh, I don't have the name in front of me. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no, Will Patton was a little bit later. Will oh. Patton's really good in this with his monologue. Yeah. Actually, he just rattled it off. Like. Oh, yes. Will Patton later. Yeah. You know, this is the guy who actually he plays um, Rosewater as well. Oh, Gilbert. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's the same, same actor. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, Trout kind of freaks this guy out by talking about all his weird sci-fi stuff. Uh, He talks about this story called Gilgongo about a planet that was, uh, a planet that went extinct because it was overdeveloped. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the guy asks him, you know, can't, don't you hate the smell of, cause there's all these factories and stuff around. And trout just says, you know, I, I used to be a conservationist, but now I say, uh, uh up your ass, man needs gas. <laughs> yeah. And they, they stop at a gas station. The guy says, I'm gonna go take a leak. And trout is like, to me, that means you're going to go steal a mirror. Right. And it's like, He's like, yep. what the hell are you talking about? And he says, you know, leaks, the holes between two universes. Don't get too near that leak. You don't want to wind up on the other universe, do you? 
Right. It, yeah, that was, uh, again, another one of those, oh, we're going to take one minor thing from the book and stretch it into an entire plot point, you know, in a movie that's already got enough plot points. It doesn't need more, right? But, yeah, they, they this one little throwaway thing, it only happened briefly in the book, and it was it was well explained, and it, it served its purpose, but they did this whole thing in the movie where every time, um, every time uh, Kilgore Trout gets near a mirror, he starts seeing an alternate universe, and eventually, right. like... Yeah, we won't spoil the ending yet, but yeah, it just ah the the, the leak thing was just so annoying for me. <laughs> yeah, it it just didn't fit. They just like just didn't even shoehorn it in. They just like bashed a triangle peg into a pre-drilled screw hey, hole. Nick Nolte, let me borrow the Maui mallet for a minute. I got to get the yeah. leak subplot in here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We see Dwayne back in his office, once again, putting the gun in his mouth, but this time it's Harry that interrupts him. Harry starts telling him, you know, he, he st- starts to try and confess that he wears women's underwear, mm. but Vernon is just like, hey, Vernon Gar's wife, Rosemary, thinks that Vern is trying to turn, his brain, turn her brain into plutonium. What do you think of that? <laughs> yeah. And, but Harry just, like, he doesn't even listen to that absolutely bizarre question. Oh, yeah. Again, another opportunity to have one of those, like, they're having two different conversations because Harry is such a a narcissist, you know? Yeah, Harry just continues to try and confess about his lifestyle. But finally, Dwayne says, you know, why are you telling people I changed? Does this have anything to do with the fact that you're the only one who knows I was adopted? Which was such a weird line because it never came up before and never comes up again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, you were saying? This is just didn't sit. It just like it never landed, and was like, "Wait, let's go back to that. That seems important." And yeah. Like, what was this the, guy's life? What's the relevance of him being adopted? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this much: it it comes up roughly as abruptly in the book as well. So you know, okay. <laughs> you know, and I I really feel like it was used well for to create that jarring effect. You know, but um it yeah at the same time it's also like sort of at the point at the book where where there's sort of a rap on harry lasaba's character in the book it doesn't go much further than that um so everything after this is sort of uh the the director building on the uh, character of harry lasaba which again we've seen oh, interesting. He, he really does like the hyper focus on all these little tiny details and leave the greater themes out to uh out to dry you know yeah Dwayne tells harry you know I, I think you need to go and just burn your entire wardrobe and Harry thinks he's saying, you know, you, you can't wear women's underwear. Go burn all your women's underwear. But Dwayne's like, you dress like a mortician or an undertaker. Like, it's okay to wear colors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like red. Or science has found colors such as red, blue, green, and pink. Yeah. <laughs> Which Harry thinks is a, is a clue. Right? Yeah. Of course. Um, yeah. So Harry promises he'll change and whatever. Uh, we see Dwayne and Francine go off to the local budget in for a little afternoon delight. Yes. <laughs> uh, at this point, Owen Wilson is on the TV with a mustache and a perm. Yeah. Oh, I forgot that was Owen Wilson. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Does Owen Wilson qualify as a Cult of Spot all-star now? <laughs> this is only his second appearance, I think. Okay. I don't know that anybody's made three yet. <laughs> but, um... Uh, I think that's going to change here shortly. So, uh, of, of all people, we've got Owen Wilson, Jason London, and <laughs> Anthony LaPaglia as possible Cultus Blood All Stars. 
Give, give them that frequent flyer mile card, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Put them on a higher splatitude. So there you go. Hey. I like that. Uh, Owen Wilson plays Monty Rapids, who is just a talk show host, and he's got Dick Lemon on his show. <laughs> um, and Dick Lemon's, you know, going on and on about Kilgore Trout and how Kilgore Trout is the, the voice of a generation and yada, yada, yada. Uh, meanwhile, Francine, in the, in the middle of the throes of passion, says that she loves Dwayne. And he just puts his hand over, his mouth, over her mouth. And it's like, no, 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 no. No, we're not saying words. <laughs> right. Oh, incidentally, this... Uh, this part of the book is when uh, the one of the interesting things about the book gets introduced, which is apropos of nothing and for no well-explained reason, uh, Kurt Vonnegut decides that he's going to start describing the genitalia sizes and aspects of every single character from that point forward. And he he like seriously he will he will take an entire paragraph he will stop take an entire paragraph uh, and describe the you know the length the girth the you know what direction they lean you know all of that like everything for every single wow. character going forward he even does this for himself when he inserts himself later so like <laughs> wow yeah so th- that's that's just an interesting fun fact for you that, that that there are details from the book that most people should be grateful did not make it into the movie. <laughs> Uh, let's see after they're done Francine looks out the window and is just like you know that would be a great spot for a fried chicken restaurant right next to the prison and and Dwayne is just like aha she's like what do you mean aha and he's like I knew you wanted something I just didn't know it was a fried chicken franchise (laughs) right (laughs) and Francine's just like you know I maybe you should go see a doctor and he's like "I've, I've seen every doctor in Midland City twice I need someone new to talk to. And she's like, well, maybe you should go talk to writers and artists at the art festival. Cause that makes sense. Yeah. It's like, why would you do that? Those people <laughs> tend to be crazy. Well, you know, we, we all deal with, uh, we all deal with madness in different ways. Right. So, yeah. So, I, you know, it, it, it was not terrible advice. <laughs> it was just, uh, <laughs> Just a little out of left field, I guess. You know, when when somebody's sort of hearing what they want to hear, which again seems to be the overarching theme of the movie that everybody just sort of hears what they want to hear, then yeah, you get you're you're probably going to get the wrong idea from good advice, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we see Dwayne's son George, aka Bunny. He's performing in the hotel lobby. Mm-hmm. He sees his dad and Francine, and he starts singing a song about Francine. This is when he gets approached by Eddie Valiant. <laughs> and his and his vodka crayon. You be a stop kid. <laughs> we then see Dwayne and Francine headed back to the office, but they're stuck in a traffic jam, which is actually caused by Dwayne's giant inflatable elephant. Yes. <laughs> right next to them, in the car next to them, they see Dick Lemon, and he's in a car with Michael Jai White. And he's like, Oh my god, it's Dwayne Hoover. <laughs> Because everybody knows Dwayne Hoover in this. Yeah. Uh, Michael J. White talks about how they've located Trout's publisher. At the same time, Dick Lemon is on the radio in Dwayne's car. And Francine is just like, do you think that means something? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that that look on her face. And she just looks over conspiratorially and pops a little food in the mouth. It was just like. Yeah, I think she's eating Funyuns. Yeah. And, she, and she's like, how do they get everyone to taste the it's same? The same. <laughs> right. I I'm sorry. Like she is so gorgeous in this movie. Like I I, I, yeah, admit, I had such yeah. a little mini crush on her in a, in a movie. She just she's so adorable and 
like wants to see the best in everything and and it really is so unfortunate that she got saddled with Dwayne Hoover, you know? (laughs) Yeah. She could have done so much better. She deserved better, but Midland City is so small, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But Dwayne, he hears Kilgore Trout on the radio and it like seeps into his brain. Like literally, you see the words come out of the radio and go in his ear. Little brain worm. Hey, Nolte, pass the Maui mallet. We got to put another theme in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, so he like starts, he drives into oncoming traffic just to get through this traffic jam, starts driving off the road. Francine's yelling at him. And he's like, take a memo. He's <laughs> like, I have to meet with Kilgore Trout. Yeah. We then see Kilgore Trout walking down a snowy street, continuing to mumble about sci-fi and aliens who live in the snow and the sun is cold and everything's chaos. Everything's chaos. Chaos. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're then introduced to Elliot Rosewater for the first time. Uh, Dick Lemon is talking to him and he says, you know, do do you know who Kilgore Trout is? Like, do you know that his stories are only published in these smutty magazines? And he holds up one of the magazines. He goes, Oh, you mean magazines like this one? Because all I know is Kilgore Trout should win the Nobel prize for literature. Yeah, that was such a fantastic scene. And, and, you know, the whole I just remember the delivery and the little smile he gives after it. And all I could think of the back of my head was, God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. You know, (laughs) (laughs) well, and he's like, he's got this jacket on with like these gold symbols around the collar. And he's like, yeah, in shadow. And it looks very kind of like clandestine. Yeah. See, that's what I love about it is because, you know, your your expectation of a character, like a, a philanthropy character is like, oh, he's funding something for these, like, you know, these terrible means or whatever. And it's like, but then that if you needed Elliot Rosewater explained to you in 30 seconds or less, that was the scene that it was like, yes, yeah. he's got all the trappings of, of this sort of upper echelon uh, that is created by money. But deep in his heart, he is like this good person who loves art and he knows what he loves and he wants to help make more of it. And I just, I loved it, you know? And like, just you could see from his head, it's like, I am in a place of bliss and I want to bring all of you with me. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dwayne, we then see Dwayne waking up next to his wife. She is fully awake. And she's watching commercials and she just starts rambling on about how happy all the people in the commercials are. And Dwayne is saying, you know, like it's, it's all fake. Like you, you can't trust those people right at that moment. A Dwayne Hoover commercial comes on. He's saying, you can trust Dwayne Hoover. (laughs) (laughs) We then see bunny and Eddie Valiant outside. Uh, Eddie Valiant's talking to him about representation and suddenly they hear a gunshot. So they run inside and Celia is face down in the middle of the bed. Dwayne's sitting on the edge of the bed holding the gun. But then all of a sudden she moves. So she's not actually dead. And we see that Dwayne actually just shot the TV. Right. It happens. We've all shot a TV or two in our day. Yeah. Like Elvis. Yeah. We then see Trout, who gets picked up by Will Patton of Halloween fame. Will Patton's talking to him about how in in jail, they didn't have TP. All they had was these uh, paper pulp books. And he says, you know, that one of them was was one of Trout's books. He doesn't know who Trout is at this point, but he's telling him that, you know, he read one of these books and, uh, you know, him and Trout start talking about the book. And he asks Trout, why would you read that if you didn't have to? Right. And <laughs> yeah, Trout just says it takes all kinds of people to make up a world. Yeah. I, I love that line to this day. I it's a good line. Like, yeah. 
you know. But I mean, more importantly, it's also I think an important line for any artist to to see is like you know just to keep in mind no matter how big, no matter how popular, not all artists for all audiences. And mm-hmm. that was it was such an important part because it really made that journey you know hit home for anybody that does art, especially weird art. You know, to to understand it, you you know, along the way, you're going to be nobody until you get to the point where everybody appreciates what it is you're doing. And I love that the way that journey for Kilgore Trout was visualized throughout the movie. Yeah. Uh, back at the car lot, we see Dwayne show back up. And this this whole scene felt very fear and loathing, more so than a lot of the other movie. <laughs> very much so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like there's just a fisheye lens as he gets out of the car and this couple runs up to him and they're like, we want to buy a car from you. Wayne Wayne is there. Yeah. Yeah. Wayne is there with the car that they gave him or sold him. I don't know, but he's basically (laughs) turning it into a house. Like he's building onto it and he's got a little front yard and (laughs) yeah. Yeah. This is what I mean when they took a a very powerful character that could have helped build the world uh, in a, in a more relevant uh, social commentary direction, and instead just had him live in his car comically, like like he's a like a Bugs Bunny character or something. It was really a shame. Yeah. But there yeah. was a this was a part that like I thought it's like he should have been more like Puck from uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream. I don't know why that pops in my head, but like it was like this scene is like he should have been like Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. But anyway. But yeah, instead they yeah they made him like this this weird sort of comedy relief that doesn't really make sense being there anymore um which yeah and god bless omar epsto he definitely made the most of it he really he he was clearly having a good time playing the character it just they didn't give the character anything really good to do (laughs) yeah Dwayne tells the couple he says you know go go talk to him he'll take care of you and then as he's walking into the lot he's like sinking into the cement which was was very fear and loathing yes how are we going to get through all this muck? going to need golf shoes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he goes inside and Harry is wearing this bright yellow Hawaiian shirt covered in pineapples uh, over his button-up shirt and tie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's also wearing a grass skirt with green uh, leggings. Yep. He's like, oh, look, I got all the colors. Here's the green. Here's the pink. You know, I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, and does Dwayne even say anything, or does he just kind of give him a look, and he's just like, oh my god, what have I done? I, I've yeah, shamed yeah, you. No, like, he, yeah, it's just a look. he just wordlessly makes a beeline for his office, and uh, uh, yeah, and then Harry has another one of his uh, his little, uh, you know, uh, narcissistic, oh, woe is me, what's going on kind of moments, you know? I love when he runs into the office, and then he looks through the blinds real quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then Dwayne gets a phone call from the EPA about Sugar Creek. And he just hangs up and he, he tells Francine, if that guy calls back again, tell him I've moved to Manitoba. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we see Trout get picked up again on the side of the street. Uh, the guy, I I didn't write down the actor's name, but it's the guy who does the voice of Howard the Duck. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> um, let's see. Back at the lot, we see Hubler's car again, just like made up with all these different little things. Um, Harry talks to Dwayne and he, or sorry, Harry's talking to Wayne and he's talking about Dwayne and he says, you know, he, those glasses he wears, he doesn't, he doesn't need them. Also, he's bald. He, uh, that, that hair, that's, that's a comb over. Oh, and his penis is small too. <laughs> yeah. If you read the book, you know, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
he even says he's like, I guess we all want a, a big penis, right? And Wayne's in the background just nodding, <laughs> right? giggle smile, yeah, yeah. But but uh, Harry wants Wayne to enter the the drawing so that he can fix it, so that he can go to Maui, right? Maui, drink Maui. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Wayne's like, I don't, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here. I want to stay at Dwayne Hoover's Fairyland. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and like the word Fairyland just like appears, like oh, that, lights on the screen. Oh, that's later. Oh, it's yeah, later. My bad. Yeah. That's later when he has when he has the completion of his well developed uh, character arc, where he finally knows no fear in saying the words Fairyland. You know, like <laughs> yeah, so so relevant to every theme. <laughs> We see Celia. She packs up and leaves. Leaves a note. Just says goodbye, Blue Monday. Which, as Zilla said, is is, is apparently her suicide note in the book. Yeah, suicide note, and it happened at the beginning. So, <laughs> or well, well, before the beginning, before the events of the film. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, so we, it's time for the big drawing. Harry announces that Wayne Hubler has won the drawing. <laughs> Meanwhile. Hubler is over in his makeshift outdoor shower. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it, where is it Wayne Hubler can choose from? Any island, including... Including... <laughs> Drink! <laughs> um, and then, at this point, Harry just goes full Nick Nolte. He just, like, starts having war flashbacks, even though he was never in the army. <laughs> you were never in the army. <laughs> he starts screaming about like secret hiding places and secret societies and all this stuff um yeah everyone is just like what the hell is this guy talking about and he's like oh sorry sorry i I went somewhere else for a minute don't worry i got the tickets right here and he reaches into his pants into his pocket and his pants just fall apart they're just they're breakaways apparently oh yeah this was the moment he was preparing for right here yes (laughs) we're yeah, and then like his top too, like his jacket just rips off like Andrade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course he's wearing lingerie underneath. Right. And we see his wife is just like, go for it. Do it, big boy. Like go all the way. And, and oh he does. I I gotta tell you, at least at least he has a supportive spouse. That's yeah, yeah. You know, may we all have a, a spouse so supportive. That they see us ruining our lives for a few moments of, uh, you know, whatever it was that uh, Harry Lasaba was doing there, uh, and uh, and decides, oh no, 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 this is good for you, you know, like I'm yeah. so happy for you. Well, if he's responsible for 38 orgasms a month, you know, yeah, yeah good for him. Well, yeah. I mean, hey, maybe that's just it. Maybe when uh, he gets to prison and goes to Fairyland, he's responsible for so many more orgasms. You know, <laughs> yeah. Just happiness all around. She, maybe she's just happy for the net increase of orgasms in the world to come. <laughs> no pun intended. Dwayne shows up and he walks by and he just says, better get an ambulance. That's his whole reaction to all this. Right. Um, let's see. We see Dwayne's wife, Celia. She sees Trout walking down the street and he, you know, jumps over the, the barricade starts heading down this hill she follows him and there's you know the creek and it's obviously toxic it's there's blue bubbles popping everywhere yeah. oh. so, steaming 
Oh my goodness! They talk about an oversell like that. Yeah, like they needed the the crick to have like some sort like in in the book. Yeah, it has like this thin layer of like sludge on the top of it, but sort of in that sort of rainbowy way. You know what I'm talking about when you see like grease or oil and it's sort of rainbow yeah. on it. You know, um, and they really went overboard. They went Shawn Michaels versus Hulk Hogan overboard on selling the toxicity <laughs> of this river. It, it looked like somebody left cottage cheese out too long. You know, like yeah. it just. Yeah, and then yeah, something out of like the Toxic Avenger or something. Oh my goodness! Yeah, like oh, you know, that's a good point. Maybe they consulted Lloyd Kaufman on that one. Yeah, I was gonna say that's Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah, uh, she offers him her rain boots. He's like, I don't need them. He just takes off his shoes and rolls up his pants and heads on in. Yeah, uh, we see them trying to take Harry away in a straight jacket, which. <laughs> Come on, all the guy's doing is wearing women's underwear. Is that really so wrong? Yeah. So, yeah, keep in mind that the book was written uh, off the top of my head. I can't remember. 73? Yeah, it was like, yeah, 70s, back when, uh, yeah, transvestitism was still considered a mental illness uh, by the by the DSM. So, um, so yeah, that, that, that was book accurate, if it, at least accurate to the era in which the book took place, which uh, still seems a little weird because I swear I saw some cell phones in this movie. So... You know, like, yeah, yeah, at least one. Yeah, so, I remember. I remember Dwayne having a flip phone with the pull-up antenna. Yeah, so it's like you know, it, it, way to try to be accurate to the era that it came in, but you picked a detail that never happened in the book. What is going on in your head, Alan Rudolph? <laughs> where, where were you at when you wrote this? <laughs> uh, we see Dwayne go to the Ameritel Inn, where they're having the arts festival, uh, but he keeps asking people there who am i who am i which i didn't really understand like multiple people in this movie seem to slip in and out of sanity yeah i mean they were really i feel like they were going for a like they were trying to do a show don't tell kind of thing with what was going on in, in Dwayne's head and yeah this is a point where he he's reaching that critical breaking point where, where things are going bad for him and you know the whole fear and loathing sequence earlier was was an allusion to that that's fine but they were really trying to they're really trying the best they could to try to just really get across to the to the viewer that yeah this is this is a this is a mentally vulnerable time for him um but oh but at the same time we're supposed to be writing a comedy so how do we do that <laughs> yeah they they just jumped too far yeah, to the yeah. to the who am i like yeah you know uh we then see trout shows up to the Ameritel inn he once again sees the alternate universe in the giant mirror yeah but everyone there is everyone there is so so excited to see him. Yeah. And he just looks so confused. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was wonderful. That was that was actually kind of wonderful. <laughs> um, you know, it, if anything, it 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 gave it for considering that the conclusion of the Kilgore Trout story, the true conclusion of the Kilgore Trout story in the movie was just so just off the wall bananas and unnecessary. I felt like at least this was giving the Kilgore Trout character a completion of journey that was satisfying, you know, like I, yeah. I really do. Um, that part I dig. I, I think it was a little, everything in this movie just goes way over the line. So I think it was a little over the line that to have this like young lady being like, oh, very clearly offering to give him his 1.5 orgasms for the month. But, um, <laughs> you know, like that, that was a little you know it was overboard but then again you know like i said it's lost in a sea of things that have gone overboard in what we call the maui pool you know <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. 
Elliot Rosewater shows up and just talks to, you know, he just tells Kilgore Trout that, that he really appreciates his work and, and everyone there really appreciates his work. And like Zilla said, the, the hostess takes him up to his room and just basically insinuates that, Hey, if you ever want to fuck, yeah, my, my number is zero. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> DTF. Yeah. Uh, that night at the hotel bar, uh, Dwayne is approached by Shawnee Smith of Saw and Becker fame. Yep, oh God, those are my two references. I forgot about Becker. <laughs> uh, she brings him a martini and she says, Breakfast of Champions. Yep. That, that's the part we're supposed to happen. That, that, that we didn't need the bit with the maid in the beginning. <laughs> no. Yeah, and it's, so now it just seems like overkill at this point. Yeah. Right. Right. It's just like we already we already did that. Like we don't need it again. Yeah, yeah. you get one title announcement, and that's it. And that's just I, honestly that symbolizes pretty much everything that that took what could have been a good movie and just made it a, a, a stinker. Is yeah, everything that needed to happen happened too much, or like was just way over the top. Right, like that was just that was what it was and then meanwhile like everything that needed to be there for the context was missing like they totally left out that in in, in the book that one of the demonstrations of 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 his mental illness was he had developed echolalia and they didn't do any of the echolalia in this so you know so yeah there uh Shawnee Smith gushes over him talks about how his her family loves his commercials and views him like a celebrity even has him sign her wrist that was weird. Will you sign my wrist? Oh, yeah. Like that's that's a thing you only do if if you're going to get it tattooed. Yeah, right. Well, in the book, she has a cast on her arm, and he signs her cast. Oh, uh, that makes so uh, much more sense. Okay. Yeah, I don't know why. To, again, why did they leave that out? Of all, it'd be. <laughs> like, it's like five bucks to make a cast. Right. It's not like they're in a hospital do it and charging ten thousand dollars. Maybe somebody yeah, chewed. Right. Maybe somebody got clumsy while they were chewing the scenery and ate the cast. You know. <laughs> is this a McMuffin? He's kind of stale. That's obviously an arm cast, Ruben. <laughs> Guys, Ruben got into the acid again. Yeah. It's a fucking Ruben. It's a breathitarian burrito. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bunny is also there performing. We see Hoobler show up. Uh, he's he now has cards that are they're just their Dwayne Hoover's cards, but he's crossed out the D and written. Wrote right. VL over the V. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know. Uh Dwayne finally he confronts Trout and he's like, It's it's you, you're you're Kilgore Trout. Where's my message? You have a message for me. Give me the message. And so he just grabs Trout's book and starts reading the first page. And it talks about how he is the only one with free will and everyone else is a machine. And this all makes sense to Hoover. He's like, yes, this is clearly about me. Right. Yeah. This is where the break finally happens in his mind. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a situation that literally the entire book is written around setting up. So you, the reader already know what's, what's in the book, what everybody's mental states are in and whatnot. And the movie did not do a good job setting it up. And I think part of that is because while they were sort of familiarizing you with the weird stuff Kilgore Trout writes, they don't at any point bring up that story, you know, that particular story. And I really feel like a lot of, of a lot of impact was lost because of that. 
You know, like that the it, at that point it just really feels like, oh, this is just another weird thing that this series of weird things is included, you know? Yeah. Trout loves it though. Trout thinks that he's a fan, and so he's just, you know, gushing over his book. Yeah. But then Dwayne snaps. He just starts attacking everybody. He grabs Bunny's keyboard and he smacks Eddie Valiant across the face with it. Throws Bunny into the piano. Yeah. I may be mistaken, but in the book, didn't he like attack basically everybody else too in the lounge and like bite off part of Chubb's finger? Or am I making that up? Nope, nope. He did bite off a finger. Uh, he ended up breaking Bunny's face pretty severely by running it uh, back and forth across the... Uh, the thing and to my surprise included the line that was in the book which i'm not going to repeat because it was really uh just a really homophobic line but you know um but you know the he wrecks bunny's face he ends up doing terrible things to francine like it the rampage in the book is severe and i could see why they steered away from it because of the ending they were going for so yeah yeah because that yeah. would drop everything yeah but yeah, Trout starts yelling at him that he completely missed the message. Yeah. And then Wayne Hubler is like, Dwayne, follow me. I can get you out of here. Uh, so Dwayne follows him, but then he tries to fight him. And he's like, what are you, a trusting machine? <laughs> yeah, and that becomes his, Yeah, that, that was the moment when he was like, oh, I, I guess I have found my purpose. Fairyland, you know, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, um, so clumsy, so clumsy. Yeah, and and Hoover just starts talk, telling everyone they're a machine, and he's you know he sees Vernon, and he's like, oh, it's the brow beating machine, and then Francine comes out, and he's like, oh, it's the fucking machine. machine. Yeah. Um, and he says, just wind her up, and she'll tell you she loves you until she gets her own fried chicken franchise. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, I, I honestly think that was Anil and Rudolph going, oh, we haven't believed the fried chicken thing yet. <laughs> yeah. Let's, we got to bring that back. Yeah, yeah. We got you know. Let's close that loop. Make, make some room, Nick Nolte. We gotta we gotta slam this one for a while. You know. Uh, God, I really want to go to Maui and have some fried chicken. What about you? Uh, let's see. Trout jumps on Dwayne's back, and he just tells him, you know, you have to keep continuing because that's that's what you are. You're a continuing machine, and until you're dead, it's all life. And this is the latest thing that they need to beat into the ground is until you're dead, it's all life. Right. Because <laughs> Dwayne says it about 30 times in the span of about three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> but Trout looks into Dwayne's eyes. He sees the reflection of the alternate universe in his glasses. And so he now he believes that Dwayne is the creator of the universe. Uh, suddenly, Dwayne like snaps back into sanity. And he's just like, you know, what, what can I do to help you? He says, you can get me a Nobel Prize or a publisher. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah, in, in the book, Kurt Vonnegut writes himself into the book for, for, for an afterward scene in which he actually does meet Kilgore Trout. And I think that's what they were trying to do, was that scene where, um... where Kurt Vonnegut is talking to Kilgore Trout. And you know, promises him that it, like he promises him face to face that he's going to stop writing him into all these like terrible scenarios and that he's going to write him a better future and all this other stuff. Um, and so, but uh, what's interesting is the way they did it in the movie was because they obviously they, they didn't want to do the Kilgore, uh, the Kurt Vonnegut thing, because that would have been good. Um, so <laughs> instead what they did was they had, uh, they had Kilgore Trout like wang his head against the ground. 
so that he was still sort of confused and disoriented, and that's why he was seeing the face of the creator when he looked at uh, at Dwayne. Oh, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. Oh, damn. I thought he was just being a wacko, like he was the whole movie. Yeah. No, if you if you like the audio design in that scene is pretty good for that because it sort of reflects that whole he just you know he 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 he, he cracks his coconut against the ground and now he's seeing you know God. So. Got it. Okay. Uh, Throughout the movie, there's this mirror in front of the dealership that says, you look like a winner. Yeah. And at this point, Trout looks into it and he sees the alternate universe and he, he goes to smash it and his hand ends up going through the mirror. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this ending so much. (laughs) (laughs) He then steps through the mirror. Yeah. This is like, like this whole thing was very realistic until this point. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that was kind of wacky or offbeat could be taken as someone's delusion. But this part like plays itself off as like this really happened. Right. You know, and, and like yeah, in the book it, it was the, the that was the bit where after Kurt tells Kilgore, "No, I'm going to make you your life nice going forward." And as he's driving away, uh Kilgore is very frustratedly chasing after the car yelling, "Make me younger." You know, <laughs> like <laughs> Give me what I really want, you know? And, uh, you know, so, but instead they made it like, uh, oh, no, he really makes him younger and he gets to go live in the mirror universe Narnia for some reason. Like, yeah, he walks into the mirror and there's this young girl and he holds hands with her and says, make me young. And then he turns into a a boy. A Uh, young boy. A young boy. (laughs) By the way, that young girl is actually Scout Willis. Oh. Oh. So. Uh, we see Celia still sitting next to the creek. Dwayne runs up to her. She throws him her rain boots. He trudges across the creek. Him, Celia, and Bunny have a nice little moment. They all hug like the families in the commercials. Yeah. And then the police show up and they drag Dwayne away. And uh, that's that's the end of the movie. This is somehow a happy ending. Somehow. this This is... This is what we were all building to this saccharine happy ending where, you know, like they, they are a, they are a happy family again and there is no mention of the therapy to follow. Right. Or the prison time. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And yeah, of course, Dwayne might be having more than 1.5 orgasms now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's another thing to think about there. What if there's a sequel where, you know, it's, uh, or, or maybe an after scene credits. Where you know Dwayne's in his cell, and all of a sudden his cellmate is Harry LaSaba. and yeah. <laughs> and then Samuel Jackson comes up and wants to talk to him about the Maui Initiative. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I mean, you you talked a lot of shit through it, Zilla, but you you picked this one and you said that you love this movie. So. I, do. I love this movie so much. <laughs> you gotta you gotta understand. Sometimes the things to love about a movie are just in how goofball and bad the decisions are. You, you, you got to enjoy them on a meta level. Right. And that's why I enjoy this movie because it, first off, you know, it like they, they went in such a, a bonkers way where if I remove myself from my knowledge of the book, I can still have fun watching the bonkersness of it. Right. Like that it can be enjoyed on that level. Then as a fan of Vonnegut's work, I enjoy it on the level of how wrong they got it and what they left out and what they chose to focus on. You know, it, seriously, it's, it's, it's kind of like, uh, it, it, Oh, what's a, what's a good equivalent here. It's kind of like watching fifth graders do a school play about fight club. Okay. Like, <laughs> like as a musical, like they, you, the, the, 
it's fun to watch them. Like, it's not just that they miss the point or can't approach the point correctly. It's in what direction they take those compromises. And that's the part that makes this such a terrific comedy for me. Right. Like, I love those bonkers directions. There's also the, the period in time. I, it's funny. I bring up fight club cause it came out in 99, the same year as fight club. And I was working in an art house at the time that showed art films. I got to watch these movies for free. Right. So it, it was uh, it came out the same year that uh dick came out it came out the same year that uh, fight club came out and the other movie I, I remember along all that was when i was introduced to fear and loathing in las vegas so it had that same sort of like the same sort of colors uh the same sort of art direction um and uh, and the reason why i related to fight club is because fight club had this really great subtle use of cgi whereas breakfast of champions used all of its cgi to beat you over the head right and yeah. so like, there's a lot of what not to do in breakfast of champions, but it, in that sort of sense of, you know, when like you remember the old, uh, remember that YouTube video that was popular of, uh, how not to be a forklift operator. And, oh yeah, it, yeah. it, it was, it, it was effective as a, what not to do, but it was also hilarious because of the direction they took those lessons and how they chose to shoot them. And I feel like th- that's why I think I love breakfast of champions so much as a movie, you know? Because it, it 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 manages to demonstrate what not to do on so many levels, and it, they just amuse the crud out of me. But also, honestly, like uh, uh, you know, Francine Pefko is gorgeous in it, and also um, the portrayal of Kilgore Trout by Albert Finney is just fantastic. You know, like I, I think if uh, ending notwithstanding, I really feel like that they nailed Kilgore Trout as a character. And I've always loved and deeply respected and, and found myself in the character of Kilgore Trout. So that was important to me, right? And so the idea that this wonderful, perfect portrayal of Kilgore Trout was being Kilgore Trout was being surrounded in a movie that literally didn't understand its source material. There, there's a there's a loveliness to that as well. You know, they the. the yeah, because that was Kilgore Trout in a nutshell. Nobody got what he was trying to throw down. That's why he had to publish in wide open Beaver magazines, you know. And so to have him be in a movie that on a meta level didn't understand the source material well enough to pay it, you know, the proper respect, there's a there is a meta awesomeness to that. So and I dig that. Kevin, what did you think of it? I thought it was fucking weird. <laughs> but I I kind of dug it, like like I texted you, like you know, as I was watching it, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is a weird fucking movie." And then it's just like, "Okay, kind of makes sense a little bit, a little bit." But like, I get what, I, like you know, like like parts of the book started coming back to me. I don't remember all the entire book. I just remember bits and pieces. Yeah. And I was just like, "Okay, okay, it, it it's interesting enough." Like, I don't know if I'll watch it a few dozen times, like you know, like you have, but. Um, <laughs> I can see myself watching it another time or two, probably. Mm-hmm. But I'm not paying forty two dollars for the uh, DVD on Amazon. Oh no, no, no! I there was a period in time when it was free on uh, on YouTube, and uh, then YouTube finally got around to taking it down. Um, I'm guessing that only happened because YouTube did it. I don't think anybody involved in the film did. So yeah, everybody's probably like, yeah. There's and finally, people are seeing it. You know what? If this is the ticket price at which they're going to watch it, you know what? Go nuts. You know. Yeah. Um, it definitely feels like a not as good fear and loathing. Yeah. But all, I know a lot of people don't like fear and loathing because it's not very true to the book either. So, mm. you know, it's 
definitely has those parallels too. Um, it is a, a wacky, wacky movie. I'll say, I don't think it deserves the shit that it, it gets. No, you know, a lot of, a lot of people really just kind of hammer this movie. And I don't think it's, it's that bad. Uh, if I had to give it just a thumbs up or thumbs down, I'm a, I'm sorry to say I would probably give it a thumbs down, I, but, it, but it would be close. Yeah. It would be close. It, like if I was giving it a, a ranking, it would probably be, you know, like a five. So yeah. like right in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's definitely fair. And I do like what uh, the, the, the comparison to fear and loathing that does make sense too, because ultimately, you know, Terry Gillum had the, the task of taking a, a written book or, you know, a book that was for all intents and purposes, unfilmable, you know, and yeah. turn it into a, you know, a compelling narrative that was watchable, you know, and he succeeded. Alan Rudolph took an easier, but still difficult uh, work of, literature to turn into a movie and uh did not pull off the terry gillum trick you know so, <laughs> you just fucked it up yeah, yeah so i believe yeah i believe that there is a there's a lesson if you were to compare fear and loathing with breakfast and champions uh in how to properly film the unfilmable i guess you know i don't know I, i'm not a professor uh, i've never been to maui maui but you know <laughs> um but you know that's uh that, yeah that's a good take i like that taylor all right. Well, there you go. If if you can find this movie, which it's not an easy movie to track down, uh, I, we would love to hear your thoughts. You can feel free to tweet us uh, or post on our Facebook at Cult of Splat. We're also on Instagram. Make sure to uh, subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Give us five stars, please. It really does help us get seen by more people. And also, just you know, go go tell a friend. Go say, hey, have you listened to Cult of Splat? It's really stupid and funny. <laughs> uh, we have a good time. Z-Man, anything you want to promote? Uh, yeah, yeah. Go watch my TikTok. It's, uh, actually, you know what? Just uh, just go to your Google, type Z-Manzilla. That's Z-M-A, two N's, like Amy Man. Z-Manzilla. <laughs> Zilla, like the big green monster. You type that into your Googles, and uh, you'll see all the stuff I do online. I do art. I do uh, I, I do Sesamero readings on the TikToks. Um, you know, I... I have a YouTube channel. I, I do all that fun stuff. Come come check it out. I, I promise not to bite. There you go. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Taylor Bartle. Kevin, where do they follow you? Uh, Kevin Nescota on Twitter and Nescoda D-U-H at uh, Instagram. There you go. So we will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in. Till then, see ya. Maui! <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Ha, 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 ha.